0: Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin.
1: Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Today I'm reading a story titled, The Yauntville Ghost, by Juanita Weeks Boyce, and it's taken from Guide's Greatest Mystery Stories. Mr. Rogers studied the face of the student standing before him. He felt certain that Jeff expected him to appear alarmed. After all, it isn't isn't every day that a Bible teacher has a ghost laid in his lap. Yet, as the boy had said, someone had to solve the mystery of the Yontville ghost, for the whole school was talking about what Hal and Bob had said. The two boys had said that they'd actually seen the ghost. Jeff further stated that the boys sounded so sincere that some of the students were beginning to believe them. Surely a Bible teacher would have the answer to this ghost business. So we have a ghost on our hands, spoke Mr. Rogers, a ghost that walks around in a cemetery at night. Perhaps I'd better have a talk with Hal and Bob myself. As Mr. Rogers listened to what the boys were saying he could tell they weren't trying to play jokes. They meant exactly what they were saying. Wow. Okay, well, this is what we're going to do, said Mr. Rogers. We are going to visit the cemetery. I've never been there before, so Hal, we're going to get permission from your mom, and then we are going to go visit the grave. As they got there, Mr. Rogers said, let's set up camp by that tree. We'll be able to see anything that happens or moves from there. And there they waited. Hal said that he hoped they'd find a simple explanation to the whole mystery, for he hadn't been able to sleep well since seeing a ghost, or what he thought was a ghost, he was quick to add. Mr. Rogers shined the flashlight on his watch. Nine o'clock, a cool breeze sprang up. It was almost ten-thirty. There! There he is! Bob's voice broke the silence. Mr. Rogers looked in the direction of Bob's extended finger. His mouth dropped open, for from the top of the hill a ghostly light was moving down toward the graveyard. It's the... It's the Yauntville ghost! Hal's voice was faint. Hmm. Mr. Yaunt, thought Mr. Rogers, the guardian of the cemetery. Mr. Yant taking his nightly walk through the grounds, it couldn't be. Yet, what else was it that was now nearing the bottom of the hill? Stay close to me, he ordered the boys, who were willingly happy to obey. You see, Mr. Rogers, we told you, they exclaimed as the eerie light disappeared into Mr. Yant's grave. That's just what happened before. I believe you boys, Mr. Rogers said. In fact, I believed your story from the beginning. I knew you had seen something. After several minutes of silence, he added, it's interesting to note that Mr. Yant's ghost first appeared at the top of the hill rather than at his grave, the place where you would expect him to make his appearance, if you believe in ghosts, that is. Well, how do you explain the whole thing? Asked Al. His words sounded more like a plea than a question. I would explain it this way, boys, Mr. Rogers led the way to the parked car. I would say that sometimes people who want to see something badly enough invite their eyes to play tricks on them. But I saw it too. I saw what seemed to be a ghost. It looked like what I would imagine a ghost would look like a bright, eerie, white form, a sort of ghostly light. We actually saw such a thing, boys. It wasn't a ghost. Well, then what was it? Hal asked. With the permission of your parents and the parents of other boys who have seen what we have witnessed tonight, I plan to have all of you meet here tomorrow night. Oh, come on, tell us now. No, we'll see tomorrow night. So the following night, the teacher and his wife and all the boys more boys than he expected, followed Mr. Rogers to Mr. Yont's grave. When they got there, Mr. Rogers looked at the parents and students around him. At this time, he said, I plan to have the Yontville ghost appear. Everyone started whispering. Mr. Rogers stepped up to where he could see the road below and turned his flashlight on and off three times. Suddenly, a car motor could be heard, the car, driven by Mrs. Rogers, headed down the road. After reaching a distant point, it turned around and headed back in the direction of the cemetery. Unable to see the car, but confident that his wife was carrying out his instructions, Mr. Rogers said, All you keep your eyes on the top of the hill. Even the parents felt their spines tingle. The ghostly light was back again, and it was moving down the hill. They watched as it entered the yawned grave just as the car passed the main gate. A few laughed when they realized what really had taken place. The ghost was the light from the car's bright headlights. But as Hal and Bob later talked to Mr. Rogers, the teacher was glad that they had taken the matter seriously, for as they both expressed it, who would have believed that a car's lights from an occasional night traveler would shine on the hill in such a way as to shine directly on Mr. Yant's grave in a ghostly manner. You know, when you think about it, we can be so confident that the Word of God shines forth in truth and beauty. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we know that there are evil spirits that often masquerade as ghosts. And there's so much Horror and terror on Hollywood just help us to fill our minds with faith food rather than fear food. All this I pray in thy holy name. Amen. Ta-da! Arts and crafts. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm looking for a gravestone unit study. When I was a kid, we would have a a unit study where we would take paper and crayons and go make engravings or imprints you know kind of like what you do with the leaves but we would do it with gravestones and we would study our gravestones we would collect the ones we wanted to study about we would study what was happening during the life of that person we did it very reverently and We never got in trouble. No one ever shooed us away. But I haven't seen anybody write a gravestone unit study. And I'm sure there's a lot of takeoffs, especially for history and mathematics in a gravestone unit study. Maybe even uh, geology with the different types of stones that are used. And there is some information about that. Different types of stone marble versus granite. And that kind of thing. And and what the purpose is for a gravestone anyway. So have fun learning. Curriculum Corner. What kids learn in games. And today I'm going to talk about Monopoly. And that probably goes without saying. In Monopoly, you learn negotiation skills. You learn financial literacy. You learn basic financial and math skills. You learn budgeting. You learn rent and mortgages. You learn taxes. You learn how to negotiate like a pro and how to always keep hand uh, cash on hand. It teaches property ownership. It teaches uh, creating an emergency fund. It definitely helps you to, to develop patience because... Uh, whoever has not played Monopoly, you're missing a very good patient-building experience and life's full of surprises. So, you know, they even have a jail there, so hopefully you're not learning about being incarcerated. Whatever the case may be, remember, curriculum is your choice, and if you're choosing to incorporate a little bit of unschooling or a lot of unschooling, make sure you incorporate game nights questions parents ask this comes from an anonymous listener we have a very strong-willed only child still at home that we are losing control on her cell phone YouTube usage we get it that she has a lot of free time but it starts with her checking her phone before school using it during a 20-minute lunch and then Almost nonstop after school until bedtime. We talk about parental controls or time limits, but it makes her get really angry and saying that we don't trust her, etc. <laughs> well, welcome to teenagehood. You know who hasn't had your teenage child upset with you? You know now's the time to realize that you have to set the boundaries. And it's actually part of preparing the child to launch because you set those boundaries and you stick by those boundaries and they eventually will launch because they have to do their chores. They have to help support the needs of the family. And it's so easy to have that firstborn child be the royalty of the family and you have to guard against that for their own good. You can unplug the internet. You can put on parental controls. And so what if they're upset? I mean, that's ridiculous. Your child's controlling you by being upset. Believe it or not, when you set, you know, when you say enough is enough and you draw that line, they actually will relax because they know that they aren't in control. They're just too young at 12 years of old, of age to be in feeling like they're the boss and they can be in control. And of course you already know my feelings about media. We have created a whole generation of addicts and if you don't believe that's true you need to read the book written by Steve Jobs where he said his whole goal when developing the iPhone was to create an experience like he had experienced when he used LSD. The Enhanced colors, motion going quickly—it all does. A, it has a huge impact on the brain's chemicals and their pleasure sensors. And you just need to guard against that. I I hope that the Lord convinces you to really be strong, put those parental controls on and time limits on. And you'll see your child blossoming. Well, we're going to finish our interview with Greg Davis. I hope you'll come back. We'll be right back. I'm here with Pastor Greg Davis. And we've been exploring some of the storms that he has had in his family and that have helped inspire the book, Standing Strong in the Storm cultivating resilience in times of trouble and I think we are certainly in times of trouble. I don't know if it's Jacob's time of trouble but wherever I turn I see natural disasters, I see human prompted disasters, wars and rumors of wars and people just that level of stress is just it's it's astronomically high. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe we could talk about some of the strategies that your family used um spiritual and also psychological that Mm -hmm. you use to get through your storms so let's talk about some of the barriers that might hinder a family when they are faced with one of these tragedies this loss or potential loss or even the threat of loss so what uh, what were some of the strategies or some of the barriers maybe that keep people from being able to experience joy through this storm
0: well one of the first lessons that we learned in in our in our storm season of storms which was as you know the program yesterday was 12 life threatening health issues that our family endured uh, over uh, a 30 year period one of the thing one of the first things that god taught us was that we couldn't only focus on the storm uh, and there's a passage that is a key passage in in the book standing strong in the storm it's a storm story in the scripture about how Jesus came walking on stormy seas out to his disciples in the middle of their storm that passage, has miraculously impacted our lives through the last 30 years and taught us many lessons about how to navigate adversity. And one of those lessons is, you can't only focus on the storm. You have to keep your eyes on Christ. When Peter kept his eyes on Christ, he was actually able to do the impossible by walking on the stormy seas towards Jesus. But when he took his eyes off the Lord and began to focus on the storm, the first thing that happened was he started to sink. And so the Lord taught us early in our season of storms, we could not only focus on the storm. It's human nature, when a crisis pops up, our human nature causes us to zoom in and focus only on that. But one of the things that the Lord showed me was, and he actually gave me an illustration uh, about, and I use it now when I'm speaking in churches, and conferences if you if you look at your telephone and pull in a pull up a picture you can see everything in that picture but when you zoom in on that picture all the way you can't see everything it's still there but you can't see it because you've zoomed in on one little part and that's what we do in our human nature is when a crisis happens we zoom in on the crisis and that's all we see but god taught us very early in our season of storms that we had to zoom back out and look at the big picture of everything that was still in our life. And when I would when we did that, we saw all the times that God had brought us through storms. We saw healing, we saw restoration, we saw protection, we saw provision, and so it co- totally changes your perspective. You have to monitor your mindset to make it through storms healthy spiritually and not be destroyed spiritually. You have to monitor your mindset you can't just focus on your problem. You have to look at the big picture and look at everything, all the blessings of God that are still in your life. You have to celebrate those and focus on them and keep your eyes on the Lord while you're walking through the storm. And that was I, one I, of the I first love lessons. That.
1: I love that. So um, do you have a list of strategies? I mean, like one would be don't focus on the storm. The first one would yeah. be
0: monitor your mindset. Mon-
1: okay, monitor your mindset. And then the second one.
0: Okay, the second one is it's, it's not just important. It it's important about the perspective. Monitoring your mindset. Mm-hmm. Don't only focus on the need in the storm. That's very important. But the second uh, strategy that the Lord showed us was that we also have to persevere when we don't understand what's happening. And so that strategy is, uh, is what, when I'm sharing this message is commit to never quit. You got to commit mm. to never quit the, you know, when there's many times in our lives, when we go through storms that we don't understand and the devil wants us to get distracted and to take our eyes off of the Lord and only focus on the problem, but we have to commit to never quit even when we don't understand exactly what we're going through
1: i love that that's speaking to my heart and i'm sure it's speaking to others i know that in sales we say persevere persevere there's you know if that's the only way you're going to be successful is persevere Mm -hmm. but commit to never quit Mm -hmm. okay now we're number three
0: okay um the the book really focuses a lot on that storm story of Jesus walking yes. out to his disciples and, uh, you know, that the whole commit to never quit thing and keeping your eyes focused on the Lord. We have to we have to the 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 fact is that before Jesus came walking out to his disciples on those stormy seas, um, they had been struggling against that storm for probably about 12 hours. That, was, that happened after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus told them to get in a boat and go on over to the other side.
1: So it happened after a tremendous miracle. A
0: tremendous day of miracles. Yeah. But I'm sure that they were questioning, why did Jesus send us across here into this storm, and he's not in the boat with us? But one of the reasons is, and that's actually kind of the third point, principle we have to understand is we have to seek God's purpose. There was a reason that God Mm. allowed the disciples to go in through that storm. And the reason was the result of Jesus walking out on the water and rescuing his disciples in the middle of their storm. One of the things that's very encouraging is this. The Lord showed me this many years ago. He said, When Jesus came walking out on those stormy waves, one of the things that that should help us understand is that nothing can stop him from coming to the aid of his people. If he has to walk on water to get to you in the middle of your storm, that's what he'll do. And so that's encouraging to know that no matter what storm you're in, you are not going to have to be in it by yourself. You don't have to be in it alone. He is going to be there with you, just like He was with the children, with the three Hebrews who were in the fiery furnace. He was in there with them, walking with them and protecting them from the threats of that fire. But He also protected His disciples from the threats of that storm. Because the crashing waves coming against their boat could have sunk them, and they were already in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So if they sank, they would have died. They couldn't swim for miles to the shore in stormy seas. So he protected them, but we have to seek God's purpose. What happened was when Jesus and Peter, I've skipped a lot of that, but there's a lot of incredible insights yes, they in, can, in the book. They can go a to your
1: website inc- and get this or the Amazon yes, yes. or gregdavisonline.com.
0: Yes. Anyway, we have to seek God's purpose because God's purpose for allowing the disciples to go through that storm was to elevate their level of faith to the highest place it had ever been. And that's exactly what happened. Because when Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat and got in the boat... The disciples, the scripture said in Matthew chapter 14, it says that the disciples actively worshiped Jesus. They were worshiping him. And that is the first time in the gospel of Matthew that he records the disciples actively worshiping Christ. Mm. And they also said, truly, you are the son of God. That is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew wow. that Matthew records them saying, Jesus, you are the Son of God. Now, there's other places in Matthew later on where they say the same thing. Yes, you're the Son of God. But the first time they said it was that night in their storm. Because when Jesus rescued them from the middle of a storm that they never thought they were going to make it through, their level of faith skyrocketed to a higher place than it had ever been. And on the other side of their storm, God used them in greater ways than they ever could have imagined. And that's exactly what God wants to do with all of us. If we keep our eyes on the Lord and we trust him, we we monitor our mindset, keep our eyes on the Lord, and if we commit to never quit, and if we seek God's purpose through a storm— we will come out on the other side stronger in our faith than we ever were before. And God will use us more than we ever thought he could because that's exactly what happened to the disciples.
1: Amen, amen. We've been talking with Pastor Greg Davis about his book, Standing Strong in the Storm. You can go to his website to learn more, gregdavisonline.com. Thank you so much for being with us. And I have one last thing to say, and that is God bless.
0: You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word mrgmediaministries.com